It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. And I am your show host, Randy Fine. Something about us is that we all tend to make quick judgments every day about everything we see. And then we put these things into categories such as healthy, unhealthy, affordable, expensive, good, bad. And how much more often do we make judgments about ourselves. To quote today's special guest, Greg Hammer, MD, mindfulness or living in the present moment gives us the space to practice non-judgment. Judgment prevents us from seeing what is really in front of us. We risk missing out on making new friends, having great conversations, and learning something new. Dr. Hammer is a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine, pediatric intensive care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, mindfulness expert, and the author of Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook from Healthcare Professionals. Good morning, Greg. Welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. Good morning, Randy. So wonderful to be with you. Thank you. It's so wonderful to have you. Okay, so we're talking about non-judgment and the key to it being mindfulness. So what is non-judgment? First, I think that mindfulness actually incorporates non-judgment. You know, one of my heroes in life is Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who's perhaps the the father or grandfather of mindfulness. He started a mindfulness-based stress reduction program in Western Massachusetts at the University of Massachusetts back in the late 70s treating patients with chronic illnesses who were relatively refractory to treatment and were depressed and self-judging, no doubt. And uh, what uh, Dr. Kabatson defined mindfulness as awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. And I think those are three important concepts that are all interrelated Awareness of the present moment, on purpose, non-judgmentally. So non-judgment is really part of mindfulness. It's part of being aware of the present moment because when we judge, we're really looking at things through a veil or through, one might say, tinted lenses, and we're not really seeing things truly as they are, and therefore it's difficult to be fully present and aware. And that makes total sense. So... Um... This is, so when we're mindful, we are assuming a stance of impartial witness to whatever experience we're having. So this is a way that we can bring awareness to our our unconscious judgments, right? Absolutely. And I think that it's, you know, it's, as you mentioned in the intro, and I, I really love what you said, judging has become hardwired into the way we think. In other words, you know, I go back thinking, thinking of things in an evolutionary 
frame of mind. I, I go back to, say, early Homo sapiens, perhaps 50,000 years ago, and I envision the, the cave-dwelling person and his family sitting by a fire in the evening, and, and he had to be very, you know, the, the patriarch uh, had to be very wary that there might be a saber-toothed tiger lurking outside of the cave. And so it was actually of a survival benefit to be negative, and that's one way our mind works. We have a negativity bias. And also not maybe even just discerning, but judging the circumstances. And that allowed him to survive and, and procreate with his partner and have more children, and that propagated those genes that were associated with that sort of hypervigilance uh, throughout the population. And, and here we are tens of thousands of years later, and it does seem to be hardwired into the way we think. Uh, but the good news is we have this wonderful property, this wonderful brain property called neuroplasticity. And so if we're purposeful, intentional, then we can actually rewire the way we think. And so I think focusing on non-judgment is, is so important. And non-judgment is um, something that causes us stress in our lives. I mean, judgment is something that causes us stress in yes. our lives. And, and, and why is that? That's an excellent question. It is something that we tend to do constantly. And I think, again, it's kind of hardwired into our brains to be constantly assessing the world around us. And so I, there's a couple of things that we've acquired through evolution, I think, that have affected the way that we think. And again, these are now hardwired into the way we think, and, and they became that way over many thousands of years. So we're not going to change them overnight, but we can take baby steps each day to gradually rewire our neuroplastic brains. But with respect to judgment, how does that apply? I think you have to kind of see the way we look at the world in combination with our negativity bias. We tend to remember the negative and forget the positive. And so we tend to cast a negative hue to what we see and how we see it. And negativity begets negativity. So you know, we're at lunch with a group of people and, you know, we look around, we tend to evaluate the way everyone looks, what they say, and we tend to, unless these are very dear friends of ours, uh, if we're in a relatively neutral setting, we tend to have a bit of a negative way of looking at the world, at others, and we judge them accordingly. And this is something that affects us in an adverse way. Perhaps I can tell you a brief story from my own experience, and this is in my book. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a home on campus, as we were discussing before we went on the air. So I'm, I'm close to the medical center, so I, I ride my bike most days. Oh, and as uh -huh. I do, I go through... Yeah, no, it is terrific. I'm, I, it's a source of gratitude for me. Uh, as I ride my bike, I, I pass through this narrow lane, and it's lined by beautiful trees, and the light tends to filter through the canopy of the tree leaves early in the morning, just as the sun is coming up. And I'm riding through, and I'm just appreciating the beauty. And then ahead of me, I see an individual walking in the same direction I'm riding. And as I get closer, I see that he has buds in his ears, 
and I notice that he's looking at his screen, and I'm thinking, hmm, starting to make a judgment, he is looking at his screen while walking through this beautiful place. What could be more beautiful than actually paying attention to what's around us right now? So I start to form a judgment that he's overly connected to his device, that he's not observant, doesn't appreciate the beauty of nature. And as I get closer, I realize he's walking in the middle of the path and I'm going to have to navigate around him. And I start to judge that maybe he's a little bit selfish. He's kind of disconnected and you know, isn't really thinking about other people walking or riding by. And then a light bulb goes off. And I, I just did my gain meditation, the N standing for non-judgment. And I realize I'm judging this person. And this is a negative experience for me as well. And as I ride by, I smile, having had a laugh with myself for, for being judgmental. And I look at him and he looks up at me and smiles. And you know, lo and behold, it's a little hit of dopamine. It's a positive experience instead of a negative experience that would have just sort of added a bit of negativity to my day. And I think this is a good example about how judging others, typically a little bit negatively, impairs our own ability to be fully present and appreciative of what is and happy. That's a really good example. I think it's one we can all relate to. We we also <clears throat> we also judge ourselves too. We're also really tough on ourselves. Um, and this, is mindfulness um, can we use mindfulness to uh, curb that tendency? Absolutely, because you know, again, um, if we're if we're going to be non-judgmental toward others. At some point, we realize it's only logical for us to be non-judgmental toward ourselves. And uh, I happen to be tuned in to a, a, a dharma, a satsang, a sitting with uh, another one of my heroes whose name is Jack Cornfield. I'm sure many of your listeners may have heard right. of him, but he yeah. is, uh, you know, he's a spiritual teacher, and he talks a lot about loving kindness. And he has a wonderful exercise where we pick somebody in our lives, we visualize their face and, and their persona, and with our eyes closed and in touch with our breath, we wish them happiness. We wish them loving kindness. We wish them safety and protection. We wish them happiness. And then we imagine them casting the same sentiments toward us. We imagine them wanting for us to experience loving kindness and safety and protection and happiness. And then we imagine wanting this, or more than imagining it, we experience wanting loving kindness, safety, protection, happiness for ourselves. Because if we wish that for others, it's only logical at some point to turn inward and wish it for ourselves. This is obviously, for many of us, the hardest step. But I think that's a, a beautiful exercise. And in the gain meditation that I practice and teach, um, the N is for non-judgment, so gratitude, acceptance, intention, non-judgment. When I get to the N in gain, again, with my eyes closed, focus on the breath, what I practice and teach is imagine a beautiful image of the earth apparently suspended in space. 
one of these beautiful NASA images where our mostly blue planet is just suspended there. And we recognize that the Earth is neither good nor bad. The Earth is simply as it is. And then we transition to, again, in touch with our breath, thoughts of ourselves. And if the Earth is neither good or bad and is simply what it is, it's only logical since we're part of the earth, to think of ourselves in the same way. So we think, I am simply the person that I am. I am neither good nor bad. I am simply what I am. And again, I think this is a natural progression from seeing others and seeing the world in this non-judgmental way. But for sure, it's the most difficult. And there are a lot of data showing that we're much more harsh on ourselves when we judge ourselves than we would be with others. And uh, it's a, there's an actual wonderful um, cognitive behavioral exercise where we are, uh, recognize that we're judging ourselves harshly about something we said or did. Uh, I said something a couple of days ago that offended somebody inadvertently. Um, and we, in recognition of that, and in the context of self-judgment, we imagine that instead of talking to ourselves, we're actually talking to a good friend. And our good friend is explaining to us exactly what we've experienced. And in this cognitive behavioral exercise, we imagine how we treat that good friend. Do we judge them harshly? No, we, to somebody that we care about, would say, you know, we're only human. Uh, they will recognize that you didn't mean any offense. Um, you know, take a breath. We all feel this way, and you're probably making it out to be much worse than it really is, and you're a good person. And so by imagining that we're actually talking to a good friend, we're much more likely to be nonjudgmental. You're absolutely right. <clears throat> so I do um, trauma work with... Um, survivors of narcissistic abuse and um, the, the thing about it is when once they leave the abuser whatever um, type of abuser it may be whether it's family or relationships or marriage or you know spouse or whatever um, they get away from the abuser and then they take on the abuse themselves and they begin to say things to themselves um, so they no longer hear having it come from someone else now they are saying it to themselves um, and it's in, it will keep them stuck in this loop of pain that they don't even realize you know that is happening to them and so you know this is something that um, I try to help people work with to get out of that loop um, and I like that cognitive exercise that you shared um, it's important. We have to step outside of ourselves and, and look at it a different way in order to forgive ourselves from things. And, you know, we may punish ourselves for the rest of our life over something that we said or thought we did when the other person was not even impacted at all. We're so hard on ourselves. We tend to, to really uh, be our worst enemy unless we become aware that this is what we do to ourselves. And um, so I think that what you're talking about is so important to our happiness and well-being. Absolutely. You know, going back to Dr. Kabat-Zinn's 
definition of mindfulness, and it could be a definition of happiness. It's awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. And the reason the on purpose is in there, and the reason on purpose or intention is the I in gain, is that we have developed default modes of thinking, and they include a negativity bias. We tend to remember and embrace the negative and forget the positive. And also, we're very easily distracted by the past and the future. And when we overthink them in maladaptive ways, thinking of the future excessively generates fear and anxiety. And overthinking the past often leads to regret and shame. And we apply these to ourselves most profoundly. So this has become our default way of thinking. And as I said, our brains, and I think this separates us, I presume, from other primates and mammals, certainly, in that we have this property called neuroplasticity. Uh, I think other species have this when it comes to recovering from brain injury, for example. Other parts of the brain that are not injured may take over for the injured part. That is a manifestation of neuroplasticity, and I've seen profound examples of that in, in babies and young children. But what we have that most other species don't have, I think, is this neuroplasticity. And that means that if we are intentional, purposeful, we can actually, in baby steps, I think best with a, a brief daily practice, we can rewire the way we think. And that's where this awareness on purpose, non-judgmentally comes in. We have to have a plan. We have to be purposeful about it. And by doing so, by having a daily practice or nearly daily practice, we can gradually rewire this tendency to be negative and very judgmental, especially toward ourselves. And so I think that's something that you teach and it's something that I practice and teach as well. Yes, yes, it is. It does take um, an effort to change the way that we think, and um, it's insurmountable. But the more we do it, and once we change it, we change it. We're not going back. So it's it's it can be done. Um, so let's talk about judgment. So there is a purpose for some judgment, right? we need to judge in certain situations. Do we not? Uh, that's a really provocative question. I think the f first what I would say is to recognize the difference between discerning and judging. Okay. We certainly need to discern. So, you know, you and I are talking, Randy, we talked a little bit before we went on the air, and uh, I would love to have a cup of coffee together and learn more about what you do. You're clearly an interesting, upbeat, positive, constructive thinking person. So that's my discernment. I recognize those qualities. On the other mm -hmm. hand, there are people that are very negative and always complaining, and they tend to talk about other people poorly. Uh, in other words, they're very judgmental. So I have to discern between with whom I spend my time. Do I want to have a cup of coffee with Randy, who's very positive and creative and, and thoughtful, or do I want to have a cup of coffee with another person who's very negative and judgmental? 
uh, and gossipy and so on, and I'm usually kind of brought down by conversations with him. So I'm yeah, concerned between the two, but I don't have to judge. I don't have to say that this other person is bad. Um, you know, they've got their own reasons for being the way they are. I, I, I believe that people who are very judgmental are not happy. Again, you know, happiness as mindfulness can be defined as awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. So judgmental people don't don't get that, or if they get it, they they're unable to personify those qualities, including non-judgment, and they're the ones who are unhappy. So, what good does it do me to judge them poorly because they have this negativity about them? So I need to discern. We all need to discern. But I don't think we ne necessarily have to judge. I would say if we are going to judge, then embrace a way of looking at the world that is slightly positive. So judge things slightly positively. Uh, there's a wonderful Advaita teacher with whom I've had the pleasure of sitting named Francis Lucille. He's down in Southern California. And he is just uh, you know full of wisdom and he advised looking at the world with as he called it benevolent indifference and he doesn't mean not caring in the in the mm -hmm. sense of being indifferent but rather don't judge what it is you experience except maybe be a little bit benevolent about the way you look at the world and i think that's a beautiful way of putting it so i'm we need to discern. We obviously have to decide, is this dangerous? Is that safe? I need to veer away from the danger if I'm going to survive. Um, but I don't think we need to judge. And I, I agree. I like that word, discerning or discernment. Um, and then that brings me to the thought of the, um, the judge itself, the person who is um, in you know, making decisions for um, the safety of the public or the legal system or whatever. And I would imagine that, um, I don't know, would you say that judges per se are using discernment or that they actually have to judge and that that can be very stressful for them? Well, I think we all have a tendency to judge, but I think the job of a judge in our in our legal system is to discern is to evaluate this person in front of them are they a danger to society um, have they done something egregious and illegal you know and the judge of course is responsible for helping to enforce the law according to our our code of legal legal uh, principles so I, I don't think that it's an interesting term to call that person a judge. Yeah, exactly. I guess it would be hard. It'd be hard to call them a discerner. Um, <laughs> I, I think a judge is easier. But no, I think that their job is to is to discern rather than to judge. Okay. Yeah. I, we should change that. We really need. You know, we're changing the names of so many things in our society. We need to change the name of the judge to the discerner. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, who knows? You know, yes. everything else is changing. Um, so maybe, when we... maybe we'll figure out a better word for it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Something that rolls off the tongue a little more easily. Right. Better than the discerner. That's that's good. Yeah. Um. So. 
when we um, when we drop the judgment, then we embrace or we allow ourselves to embrace different situations and different bull, different new experiences, feelings that um, we may not have had before. And that allows us to be more open and compassionate. And so this is really a wonderful thing for us to, um, to strive for. Absolutely. Well, you know, again, we tend to judge. So we, we, we're meeting a person that we haven't met before. It could be, you know, an administrative assistant because we have an appointment with, with her boss or his boss. So we, you know, we, as we approach, we tend to look at facial characteristics, body habitus, uh, clothing, posture. And so we make these judgments, you know, again, it's just something that our brains are hardwired to do. So we make these judgments, but that means we're not really allowing ourselves to see the person as he or she is. And, you know, that, that could happen when we're meeting somebody uh, for a cup of coffee or we're meeting somebody in their office or we're meeting somebody somewhere else. We are best served, I think we all could recognize, by seeing them as the person they are. Otherwise, we make these negative judgments and we, we don't allow ourselves to really get to know the person and maybe this is somebody that we'd like to spend time with maybe this is somebody that we'd like to engage um, so yes I think we're well served in general by not judging and I think that applies for example when we you know take a walk in nature oh this plant is beautiful that plant is not beautiful why don't we just see all the plants as they are I think we can appreciate them to a greater extent when we do just that right and when we do that it brings us to to the present moment. So um, that's all, you know, it's all related. One of the ways to get yourself out of a, um, you know, an anxiety attack or something like that is to do things like that, to use your senses and focus on what you're seeing before you without judgment so that you can um, bring yourself back to the present and that takes you out of the, the anxiety that you're feeling. So that really does work. We also, um, we can also limit, our understanding and our um, our education, uh, wisdom, new ideas, things like that. When um, when we think we know everything, we don't grow and learn, right? Absolutely. No, I mean I think that being being present and being aware of the present moment means observing and experiencing, and by virtue of of that presence, we learn and we grow. And I think. You know, that is one of the key ingredients to, to being happy as a person is growing. And again, it's linked to the way we perceive what's around us. If we see things always the same, you know, maybe we see things as a little bit hostile to us, something we need to get away from or what have you. Um, we're casting a negative hue and we're not going to experience the fullness of what's around us. And and I think if we do that, we're not going to grow as people. So I think we need to to always be learning, observing, and growing. We need to be in community with others, and we need to be serving others to some degree. I think those three ingredients are are ever-present and part of our are being on a path of happiness. But it starts with really being fully aware of what's happening around us and doing that without judgment. 
Yes, very true. Um, you know, getting back to discernment, um, so I think some people may have a little bit of um, some difficulty with understanding the difference between letting go of judgment, um, not meaning that it doesn't mean that you have to approve of something that violates your, your values, but um, it's more of just an acceptance. Um, can you clarify that a little bit for those who may be questioning that? Well, you know, as you know, um, my practice and, and the book is about GAIN, which is an acronym for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And the A in GAIN being for acceptance is representative that, you know, the world does not comport at all times with our apparent wants and needs. And so we need to discern again between what we can change and what we cannot change as the serenity prayer would have it. And that which we cannot change, we need to accept. And so we, again, we tend to resist things that don't apparently comport with our wants and needs. And there are a lot of ways of resisting. It's trying not to think about something unpleasant. It's, you know, depersonalizing that other person who's we've had a run-in with. Um, it's, you know, we may know somebody who is, has a, a, a fatal disease. And, you know, at times we depersonalize that individual saying, well, they smoke cigarettes or this or that. Those are all forms of resistance. And if we want to be happy, we need to let our resistance drop. And there's a formula in the book, which is suffering equals pain times resistance. So the pain is there. I think we all know there's joy, but there's also pain in life. If we resist it, then our suffering increases. And I think the truly enlightened individuals, Jesus, the Buddha, perhaps others, they were wise enough to accept what is fully. In other words, their resistance to what is went to zero. And so since suffering equals pain times resistance, when the resistance goes to zero and becomes full acceptance, there is no longer suffering. So I think acceptance is key, and it is related to judgment. I think these principles of gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are all very closely related. So acceptance is certainly related to judgment. It, if we're going to accept something, we need to see it as it is and, and let go of any judgments. Do you think there's a difference between acceptance and surrender? I know I'm really picking your brain now. <laughs> I tend to do that. No, 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 that's good. That's an excellent question. I think there is. I mean, it's like um, forgiveness, which is so important. Um, there's a guy who's written quite a bit on this whose name is Fred Luskin, who uh, is a good friend of mine. We just had lunch together, as we do every couple of months. Uh, he helped write one of the chapters in, in that first book. And forgiveness, I think, and compassion are truly essential. Um, and they are kind of related to non-judgment. Um, but one thing Fred has said, and I think this is very wise, is that we benefit from forgiveness, but that doesn't mean that we forget. So 
you know, we can forgive somebody for some transgression involving us. It doesn't mean we have to forget about it. And in fact, we might recognize that that person is likely to do this again. And through our discernment, we may decide we don't want to spend time with this person who's been abusive. I mean, you have a practice that includes counseling people in relationships with narcissistic individuals. So I, I, I'd be very interested in hearing your approach to this, but people in such a relationship are often treated very poorly, of course. Right. And at some point, you know, they need to discern, do I need to get away from this person or not? Is, or, or are they going to change? Can I help them change? The answer is probably almost always no. We're not going to help them change. And so we need to get away from them in many cases, um, in which case eventually we can forgive them for the way that they've treated us. It doesn't mean that we forget about the way they treated us. We mm -hmm. remember how they made us feel, and that helps us keep our distance from that person, for example. So forgiveness does not imply forgetting. And right. I think forgiveness is, is always good at the appropriate time, and, uh, and, and forgetting is, is often something we don't do, and, and, and that is often a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I think the reason I ask that question is because um, when, when I'm working with somebody who has been through, you know, they could have been married to a narcissist for 20 years or whatever, and in those 20 years, they have done calisthenics, trying to make things work, trying to keep this person happy, thinking that they have this ability to do that. And when they come out of these relationships, which is always in desperation because there's absolutely, it comes down to the last point of their, they, you know, it's survival that they have to go. Um, they often still have in their mind that uh, this person may have power over them, um, uh, that this person may think the same way that they do, which is always is absolutely not true because people with personality disorders do not think like we think. They're very different. Um, and there comes a time where if we don't accept that it is the way it is and we surrender to the fact that we cannot change it. So I think this is where, you know, acceptance and surrender may it may, there may, may be um, a crossover here because in order to heal from some things, we have to really surrender to the fact that there's no way to change it. And in doing that, um, we allow ourselves to take on a different perspective. So I just wanted to see kind of what your thoughts were in regard to that, if you have any. Yes. No, I think that you have nailed it. I think... This is what I mean when I say that we need to discern, but we don't need to judge. So we obviously need to be discerning. And if this is a person that is hurtful and going, being in a relationship with them is going to lead to our unhappiness, and we've tried to be a good partner, but we're clearly not going to change the way the person is, and the way they are is not compatible with having a, a healthy relationship, we need to discern and and recognize that and accept mm -hmm. it, and if you will, okay. surrender to it. 
But okay. that doesn't mean that we have to forget about it. We need to, you know, get our distance from that person. But we also don't have to judge that person. You know, okay. we can relax into the idea that they are simply who they are, but in my discernment for my own health, it, I need to keep my distance. Okay. All right. All good words. <laughs> There's so many ways to, to really say this. Um, how do we begin a practice of non-judgment and or at the same time begin a practice of mindfulness? Yes. Well, you know, again, mindfulness is, is starts with being aware of the present moment. And if we think about all the times that we're really happy, Randy, I think you'll agree with this, it's when we're fully present. So it's when we're taking that walk through the forest and we feel the pine needles on the forest floor, you know, softly against the bottoms of our feet as we walk. We take in that wonderful scent of sort of oxygen-enriched air with a, a little bit of an aroma of the, of the plants around us. We look at the sky and we see the sun filtering through the treetops. When we are really in that experience, we're fully present. We're not thinking about what happened yesterday or the list of things that we have to do tomorrow. And that same present experience, that happiness experience, occurs when we're laughing hysterically with a friend. You know, we're, we're both right there together or when we're having an intimate moment with a partner that we love. So happiness really lives in the present moment. And as I said earlier, we have a couple of qualities that seem to be hardwired into the way we think that interfere with our ability to be fully aware of the present moment. And they include this negativity bias, which is a form of judgment. And they also include a distraction with the past and the future beyond the adaptive ways of thinking. We, our minds, our default mode is starting to rehash the past. I wish I hadn't have said that. I feel ashamed. I'm judging myself. Or we overthink the future beyond you know, what we need to plan for to put bread on the table and plan to have wonderful times with family and friends. When we overthink the future beyond that, we generate fear and anxiety. We have this negativity bias coming in, and therefore we're imagining bad things. We're, we're catastrophizing. We're imagining the worst thing that might happen, even though it rarely does. And so if we're going to be happy, if we're going to be present and aware and non-judgmental, we need to have a practice. And there are many approaches uh, to the same thing, but... Basically, what we need to do is take advantage of our neuroplasticity. So I can just tell you about my own practice, and that I teach is the GAIN method, where we get up in the morning, we open the blinds, we do our morning hygiene thing, and then we commit at least three minutes to this practice. And so we sit, we get comfortable, we focus on our breath, we focus on the breath coming into our body through the nose. We sort of prolong that experience. We pause. We hold the breath gently, embracing it. And then we just let it go very slowly without effort. And we get into the breath, and this lowers our heart rate. It lowers our blood pressure. It lowers the amount of adrenaline coursing through our body. 
And then we begin a brief contemplation of that for which we're grateful, the G in gain. So uh, later on, I will be grateful for having had this opportunity to spend the hour with you, Randy, and, Thank you. and have an interesting discussion. Um, I will be grateful for my relative health. I'll be grateful for having a safe place to sleep and to live. I'll be grateful for the work I'm privileged to do. I'll be grateful for my friends and family. And then we move to acceptance. And here we recognize that there's pain in life as well as joy. And so we think of a painful experience. could be a, a negative interaction with somebody. It could be the loss of somebody we love. And we bring that pain closer and closer. We actually envision opening our chest, opening our heart, bringing that pain into our heart, embracing it with our heart, uh, enveloping it and loving it. Do that. Gradually, there will be no separation between the pain and our heart. And if we ask ourselves the question, can I live with this pain forever? The answer is yes. And then we move to intention. And a good way to start our 30 seconds of intention practice is to take five seconds and just focus completely on what we're experiencing right now. So it could be the tingling on the bottom of our feet, the sensation of the chair pushing us upward, could be returning to the breath. It could be listening to what's around us. And where I live, I often hear, sometimes in the very uh, distance, something I wouldn't normally hear is an airplane slowly going by. And I'm, I listen to that. I experience what my senses are experiencing. And sometimes, you know, I, we only can do this for five or ten seconds, and then our thoughts return to the past and future. But if we do it for five seconds for a week or two or three in the morning, pretty soon we'll be able to do it for ten seconds. And what we're doing is teaching ourselves to experience the present moment. And then we transition to the end and gain, which is non-judgment. And I told you about the practice of visualizing the earth, apparently suspended in space, and recognizing that the earth is neither good nor bad. The earth is simply as it is. And then turning toward ourselves and recognizing that we too are neither good nor bad. I am just the person that I am. And then I simply am. And the I amness can be associated with return to focus on our breath. And then we slowly open our eyes. And what this does is as we go out into the world, it gives us a new way of thinking, even baby steps, one day at a time. So now I'm, say, somebody who's driving to work, and I'm out on the road, and somebody in the lane to my right turns into my lane without using their turn signal and cuts me off a little bit, and I start to form judgments about this person is inconsiderate, etc. And then I've done my game practice, and a light bulb goes off, and I recognize that I'm judging this person. And really, there's no benefit to that. Maybe their pregnant wife uh, or their husband who's been injured is lying in the back seat and they're trying to get to the hospital quickly. Um, so what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for recognizing when we slip into these default modes of thinking, including being judgmental. And when we do that, we can have a laugh at ourselves and then just kind of redirect our thoughts 
into a more positive, in this case, non-judgmental way of being and thinking. And, and you know, gradually over time, weeks and months, we can look back and, and, and recognize that we're really starting to think differently. We're really starting to be able to appreciate the fullness of our present experience without judgment. And, and it's actually um, such an essential practice and, and such a productive one. I love that. <laughs> and that's in your book. Um, <laughs> that's really good. Uh, that's in your book, Gain. Um, I'm just trying to see. Yes, absolutely. Gain Without Pain. Um, and it's called the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. But I would imagine that this would be for anyone, right? Absolutely, yes. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to speak to people like you about that practice. Um, really, we haven't mentioned anything about healthcare. I think these are just principles of, of living fully and being able to appreciate the present moment and, and become happier people. Right. And especially, um, I mean, you have a job that could be very, very stressful. And, um, you know, I would imagine that these kind of practices are fundamental for, you know, you going through every day um, and not letting these things get to you. And so when you're dealing with a patient who you really, um, you've done everything that you can and you really feel powerless over the situation, um, <clears throat> how do you, how do you look at that? What is the approach that you take mentally to be able to let yourself off the hook when your, it is your job to help people heal and, and get better, especially children? I know that you work with children. How do you deal with that? You know, Randy, when I decided to go into intensive care medicine and cardiac anesthesiology, I recognized that I was going to be dealing with patients with complex congenital and and other disorders and that many of them would die. And this is the practice that I, I love. You know, I love things kind of coming hot and heavy and you have to make decisions on your feet and you have the opportunity to see the result of decisions that you make fairly immediately. Um, that's just sort of the kind of person that I am. But I realized that if I was going to do this and take care of children who were very sick and often dying, I needed to come to terms with mortality, not only in my patients, but myself. And so I think this is under the umbrella of the A and gain or acceptance. So as you mentioned, you know, if I have a patient that has had the best possible therapy that we can offer and, and we've made correct diagnoses, we're doing everything we can to treat that child, but the child is continuing to deteriorate and is unlikely to survive. That is something that I can no longer change and I need to discern that and accept it fully and recognize that pain that I feel, more importantly, the family is experiencing, if not the child, is something that we all need to accept. And so before I go into that patient's room, I take a breath or two, I think of my gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment, focusing on acceptance and being present, and then I enter the room and 
I'll tell you, Randy, the family may not by that point be looking for more data, for more insight into the patient's disease or, you know, what treatment lies ahead today. It's simply the act of being present with the family, mm-hmm. being fully aware myself of the family and what they're experiencing and being in the present moment with them. And that mm-hmm. calmness and serenity is something they sense and understand and, and really appreciate, just just the being of it. How fortunate are they to have you in the room with them at a time like that? Someone who, you know, who has put this much thought into, um, you know, into being present and being mindful. And uh, because I know that not all doctors have that bedside manner, but that's really, I, can, I just think that is so fortunate for those families to have you walk in and bring that with you. Well, thank you. I, I, I think sometimes that's really all we can really offer the family. Mm-hmm. And it puts us in touch with our own way of thinking, you know, am I resisting what's going on right now um, mm-hmm. because it's difficult. And recognizing, having that little light bulb uh, that goes off in recognition based on our daily practice, for example, a light bulb goes off when I feel myself failing to accept, when I feel myself resisting, I'm uncomfortable going in the room, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to say these words or what have you, I'm resisting, it, it just enhances my own suffering. And that will do nothing positive for the family. Um, and so, yes, I think, I think sometimes that's what we can offer the family. And I think that they sense that, they benefit from it. Um, you know, when we're, just as when we're happy with others, it tends to help them be happy. And when we have a presence, when we are fully present with other people, it facilitates their ability to be present as well. Do you think that you developed this practice um, as a result of or, or in anticipation for the, the work that you do, the career that you chose? I think that it's a, you know, um, self-propagating situation where, yes, I mean, I went into it having certain proclivities, but certainly my experiences in taking care of children have have allowed me or facilitated my progression in these thoughts. Because, you know, when we, when we have a certain way of thinking on purpose and we get positive feedback from it, we recognize that th- those are the right thoughts to have. Those are the adaptive thoughts to have then if we're at all intelligent, we turn toward those ways of being and thinking. And then gradually over time, when you have the same experience over and over again, these ways of being are fortified. And so, you know, it's a process. I've been doing this for a long time. And, of course, I've had my own life experiences that have had lots of pain. Um, And so, yes, I think... uh, it's, I'm fortunate to have been open to this way of thinking probably in my early adulthood, and then my experiences have simply reinforced the practice. Mm. And you teach this to medical students, residents, and fellows at Stanford, where you are. 
um, that's invaluable. It's invaluable. Hopefully they they grasp this. Hopefully they uh, incorporate it, you know, into their daily practice to help them be better as, you know, doctors and dealing with their the families and the patients. It's so important. Um, so is there anything that, I mean, I know we've talked about a lot, but is there anything that you wanted to bring up that maybe I haven't brought up or something that you think is really important to leave us with? I think, Randy, you know, it's a, it's a really important topic that is non-judgment. And, you know, I guess what I would say, and perhaps I already have, but I think that these four principles, the gain principles of gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are, to me, they're the pillars, the four essential ingredients in happiness. And they are all interrelated you know, when we're fully experiencing our gratitude, um, we're grateful for this person in our lives. We tend to drop judgments of that person and maybe even ourselves in our gratitude. Um, and so I, I just would like to, to radiate the message that these four principles are interrelated and they're all so important. And in addition, I would like to say that we all have a negativity bias. We all have an obsession with the past and the future. We are all wired to be judging. And so if anyone feels that they are unique in their judgmental you know, proclivity, please recognize that we all feel this way. We all have a negativity bias. We're all very judgmental, most of all self-judgmental. I think just knowing that these are human traits and we all feel this way will help us open up to, to the reality of life and, and awareness of being present because we all tend to think that we have these secrets, that we're the only ones who feel this way. And I think this is something that we share. We're all human. We all have minds that tend to work similarly. And so we're not alone. Um, we're in very good company. And, um, you know, I, I just think that this is so important. We all tend to be so hard on ourselves. Let's remember that all of us have these same thoughts and feelings. Mm, I think that's so important. That's a really important point. Um, and that takes the pressure off of us um, to judge, <laughs> judge the fact that we're judging, <laughs> um, which is what we do. We tend to do that. So, I love the practice that you shared, and um, you explain that in your book, Gain, G-A-I-N, um, uh, which is Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals and dot, 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 everyone else, right? <laughs> in the very right. fine print. In the very fine print, exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Um, well, I'm certainly going to share this with my son, who I told you is a doctor, and um, I think it's really valuable. I think he's got a great mindset. Um but it can't hurt to share that. So I thank you so much. This has been really stimulating. Um, I've completely enjoyed this discussion. And, um, and thank you for, for being my guest today. Well, I've enjoyed it very much also, Randy. And it's totally my pleasure. Well, it's been wonderful. And, um, and I wish you a wonderful day. Have a great time. Great day and whatever else you're doing. Okay? 
Take care. Likewise. Okay. okay. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now, Randy. Okay. Uh, so we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.